0: This is Tush, and I welcome you to Tushalicious Talk, an Oklahoma City podcast for titillating women, tantalizing conversation. And I thank you in advance for allowing me to be your one-stop-shop advocacy connection. Hello, hello, hello. Again, this is Jackie, uh, a.k.a. Tush. And welcome to another episode of Tushalicious Talk, where um, we talk about things related to Oklahoma County, since I am the president of the League of Women Voters in Oklahoma County. And today our episode is When to Put a Protective Order on Your Baby Daddy (laughs) with (laughs) Palomar OKC. Um, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So that is why I invited Palomar to come speak with us. And if everyone doesn't know, Thursday, October the 19th is Purple Thursday. So wear your purple on that day and post a picture on your social media with hashtag Purple Thursday or hashtag Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And with us, we have... Hillary Burkholder, I got that right, yes. <laughs> Burkholder. She is the CEO at Palomar. And if you will tell us just a little bit more about your position and what you do there and um, what all services Palomar provides, please. Yes, thank you.
1: Um, like she said, I'm Hillary Burkholder. I have been the CEO at Palomar since April of 2022. Um, it has been my honor to come alongside the work that was started by Kim Garrett, our founder and our board of directors, and um, really building an Oklahoma City Family Justice Center. So that's a model that began out in the 90s in California, this idea that uh, survivors shouldn't have to navigate all these complex systems um, separately and the barriers to try to access all of those services when you are going to separate locations. And so the concept is really trying to pull together the government and nonprofit agencies that someone would need to access So at Palomar, uh, we're really focused on domestic violence this month since it is domestic violence awareness month. But we also serve survivors of sexual assault, stalking, human trafficking, uh, children that have witnessed violence and pet and elder abuse as well. And so if someone comes to Palomar, Mm -hmm. they can meet with any number of our partners. It's always really driven by the survivors' priorities and their needs um, and And we are just helping to facilitate that. So our staff meet with them to kind of really understand their story and to educate them on what's available. And then they can connect with The people that they need to. So whether that is filing a VPO, a a victim protective order, uh, making a statement with law enforcement in a place that feels safe and trauma informed, instead of going down to the police station, Uh, maybe that's accessing civil legal services. So maybe getting a divorce or pursuing a custody case. Um, Our advocacy agencies like the YWCA, La Luz, and LCDA they all provide safety planning and advocacy support. We um, have mental health on site. So we have a liaison from the Department of Mental Health. And then we have lots of community-based mental health agencies that are there. And so uh, they can get therapy or group work on site. Um, we have a children's sanctuary. So if someone does need to bring their kids, that removes that barrier. And they can bring them and the people that are in the sanctuary are um, trained to really build relationship with those children and help make them feel Safe and a connection. We also have food um, and charging stations and all of those things, a store with hygiene products and clothes and diapers. So, you know, you never n- know necessarily when you might uh, decide to flee. Mm-hmm. And so, trying to meet all of those basic needs so they can focus on their journey.
0: Cool, cool, cool. So, you said you help people with divorces. So, Anyone looking for a divorce can come in or it has to be within the specifications?
1: Yes. Someone related to um, one of those victimizations can come in and we would serve them through that. Mm-hmm. So not anyone looking for a divorce. Uh, we have legal aid attorneys on site. So they do most of those civil legal services. And then we do have a Palomar legal network because oftentimes um Well, just capacity wise, legal aid has more than what they can handle. But also sometimes there are things with um, the financial resources being tied up with their abuser or other things where they might not um, qualify under certain circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so we also recruit volunteer attorneys that are willing to take on those uh, family law cases as well.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Very much needed. So before we get into um, examples of abuse, will you go over again um, the categories of people that you help as far as, you said, sexual assault victims and who else?
1: Yeah, sexual assault, stalking, human trafficking, child, elder, and pet abuse, all kind of, those are all things that... often go together. A lot of the child abuse is um, co-occurring with domestic violence. Mm -hmm. So things that happen typically inside the home um, are really kind of the focus area.
0: Mm -hmm. And um, so for trafficking, do, do we see quite a bit of that in Oklahoma?
1: So the Dragonfly Home is our partner on that, mm-hmm. and um, they they do a lot of that piece. And yes, we have a high amount of trafficking, both um, labor and sexual. And so there are experts in the certified partner that we bring in when that happens. We don't necessarily have um, as high of numbers that come to Palomar for that
0: purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you. I'm sorry, you said what type? You said labor and what else? in sex trafficking, yeah. Labor what's labor trafficking? So,
1: um being held against your will to to do work, but not necessarily um
0: sex work, yeah. Wow. I did not even know that that was a thing. Okay. <laughs> so, um when I looked on the website and their website is palomarokc.org, um I saw this thing called a power and control will. And I think that um, I would like to discuss it because I think a lot of people might not even realize that they are in an abusive relationship. And some of the things that are listed there, um, you might just want to, a person might just want to think twice and say, you know, am I in an abusive relationship or am I the abuser in an abusive relationship? You know, so um, it said that the power co- the power and control wheel was a diagram used to show the abusive tactics an abuser might use to keep their victim in the relationship. And the first one was coercing and threatening. And it says threatening to harm the victim, harm pets, loved ones, or themselves, or leave a threatening report to uh, Child Protective Services. Mm-hmm. Do you see a lot of that? Yeah,
1: I think the coercion and the threatening is is a powerful mechanism for um, that fear conditioning that abusers use to keep uh, victims in a relationship. So I think the important distinction to make is that it is when there is not an equal power dynamic between um, the two people in, in a relationship and that someone is using a pattern of power and control Mm -hmm. um, over someone. So that's really what we're looking at when we look at domestic violence, Um, instead of kind of an isolated incident or um, something that might just be a toxic relationship in both directions. Mm -hmm. It is really about that pattern of um, coercive control and and that power dynamic. So, um, yeah, the coercion and threatening is, is a is a powerful tool and is one of the, um, one of the real barriers for people making that choice to leave. We, um, you know, I think we've all probably heard people say when they've heard about someone in a situation like this, well, why don't they just leave? And yeah, that,
0: that's one of those reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I find it crazy that abusers will threaten to call child protective services. And that's really real because I know some people who have been in toxic relationships Mm -hmm. And, you know, one person will say to the other, well, I'm going to call DHS on you because you did A, B, C, and D. And it's just crazy to me because you're the reason that, I mean, it's going to come back on you, you know?
1: Well, I think that's that's a, um, one of the interesting things and a hard thing sometimes for service providers that don't have really intentional training around domestic violence to recognize sometimes. Because mm-hmm. often, um, you know, abusers can be very charismatic, um, very put together. You know, all of those are things that they use in the beginning of the relationship. Yeah, (laughs) And so, and someone who has been, um, being gaslit and terrorized and threatened, um, often doesn't come across as someone who has everything together at times. Maybe they're using, um, substances either that are being forced on them by the abuser, the person who's using violence, or um, maybe they're using that as a way to self-medicate what's going on. But there are sometimes I think people often think that they would be able to um to point out someone who is a person who's going to use violence and, Um, I think the reality is it's really just not that that simple and that there are um, there are no perfect people. So there are no perfect victims. So sometimes people will say, oh, well, if they are, you know, behaving erratically or if they are using substances, it it calls into question maybe their experience when it shouldn't.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to skip down the list to where it said um, denying, blaming, and minimizing. It's making light of abusive behaviors, saying that it didn't happen, um, using visitation to harass the uh, person, uh, shifting responsibility to the victim, threatening others, and victim-blaming. And I say that because all that is gaslighting. And so I said, I think that's the perfect definition for gaslighting because people don't necessarily understand what gaslighting is. It's become a really big word on social media, and I see it misused a lot. Um, Do you have, like, uh, a specific example of gaslighting?
1: Well, I mean, I think... um all of all of what's listed here is what happens. I think um, you know when a lot of times when we see a survivor, they're just second guessing um, themselves and and whether something is um, abusive or um, that maybe you know they would say, "Well, uh, this did happen to me, but I did X Y Z that caused it," mm-hmm. instead of just um, understanding that. Nothing, regardless of of what that other interaction was, didn't warrant the abuse that That's they're right. experiencing. Right, right. Yeah.
0: The means and the end. Yeah, it's um, I describe it as mental manipulation Absolutely. or mental abuse, psychological abuse. That's what gaslighting is. When you when you have a valid point, and the other the person that doesn't have a valid point is trying to make you seem like you don't have a valid point. And then you start second guessing, like, do I have a valid point when you know that you know that you really did have a valid point? So, yeah, that's that's kind of what gaslighting is to me. Yeah. And
1: I think, um, you know, what we often hear from survivors are, you know, the, the physical abuse when it happens is horrific and and should never um, happen to people. But the long term impacts really do come from that emotional and psychological abuse. Those mm-hmm. are the things that. Um, our survivors are still dealing with and working through years later, and mm-hmm. um, they will often say that's the hardest part of, yeah. of moving forward. So I think the gaslighting and then up, up above that, I think the other thing is the isolating them, not feeling like they have a community or a safe place to go and, and share that information with. Mm-hmm. And they've become so isolated that it's hard
0: to reach out hmm Limiting outside activ- activities, controlling contact with other people and using jealousy. Yeah. And even on isolating, um, if it's just within the family, like a, a person's mom or dad or whatever, they can be a part of the isolation because you can report some type of abuse. And then they'll be like, oh, no, it's you. You did that. You did that. And then still not feeling in that safe place That safe space. So that still comes within the isolation as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And we know that there are cycles of abuse. So 78% of kids who witness violence will use violence um, themselves if there isn't intervention. And so, um, yeah, you often will see someone who uses violence and their parents will definitely maybe have lived that themselves mm-hmm. and so um don't see anything wrong with with that relationship
0: right right until somebody else points it out yeah that's why I like this list it helps it helps to point it out so intimidating as well um, is a part of gaslighting and that's you know causing fear. Through looks, gestures, behavior, or destroying property, abusing pets, and displaying weapons. You don't even have to use the weapon, but just displaying the weapon to cause that intimidation and that fear. Um, I've seen that quite a lot in some couples, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think,
1: um, you know, people that are using violence get really good at knowing really subtle ways to um, keep the person intimidated. Exactly. Yeah. And so it, um, you know, if they're out around others, they often um, won't notice those things, or it'll just be a really um, slight, maybe it's you know, um, you get an elbow dug into your side when you're out with friends and and you're not saying what they want you to say mm-hmm. or, um, yeah, an, an item that doesn't really mean anything to somebody else, um, but with all the context, the, the victim knows exactly what that is insinuating. And so um, I think that's one of the other kind of challenges um, for people that might have someone that comes to them and discloses that uh, that that you know they might think oh well I ha- I didn't see it I haven't known um, and so I think it's so important for people to to just start from a place of belief and know that sometimes these things aren't um, as apparent as we would would think they might be.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that goes back to the isolation as well. People not believing you or have, being afraid that people will not believe you, so you you might isolate yourself. Yeah. Um, next on the list is emotional abuse and that's put downs, name calling, financial freedom through mind games, um, gaslighting, <laughs> access to money. Um, actually, I think that's the financial abuse. I think I, I labeled that wrong. This is financial abuse. So, yeah, financial decision making. Um, and Well, not allowing someone to have financial freedom. So. Um, I want to cover the financial freedom because I think so many people don't realize that there is a such thing as domestic abuse through financial abuse.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think that is another one of the biggest barriers um, that people face when they are trying to make a decision to leave. So maybe They haven't been um, allowed to work outside of the home, or maybe some oftentimes um, the people that are using violence will open accounts or use. the, the victim's name in getting credit and mm-hmm. so sometimes their credit is ruined and they have no idea until they try to leave so um that is another powerful way to keep people feeling um stuck and so and it might be even things like um, the house and the cars are in abuser's name, and so if I right. try to leave, um, you know, how how am I going to do that? Where am I going to go? Especially if kids are involved. If you're trying to make um, the decision of, and say the shelter beds, which they often are because we just have such high incidences of, of domestic violence here. If they're all full, and you're trying, and you've been isolated, and you don't have. Anyone's home to go to, to. to. Um, if you're trying to decide between sleeping out on the street or going back to an abuser, you know, those are impossible situations. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. It's the um, not allowing them financial freedom, maybe not even allowing them to have a job um, or access to the checking account or, you know, even money within the house or whatever, just no access to the money at all, that definitely could leave a person within a toxic relationship. Um, And so the last um, bullet I wanted to cover was using the children. Um, And in my head, I would think that this one maybe goes about (laughs) 50-50 with men and women. um, Definitely want to say that women can also be abusers as well because there's a huge um, stigma that only men abuse women, but that is not the case. There's definitely women that abuse men. So as far as the children go, creating guilt about the children, using kids to deliver messages, using visitation to harass and then threatening, threatening to take the kids away. Um, yeah. And so I think a helpful
1: statistic. Um, so in Oklahoma, they estimate that as many as 49 percent of women and 40 percent of men will experience domestic violence in their lifetime. So it really um, the numbers are are much higher for men than I think we we often think about Um, And, of course, those also include same-sex relationships Mm -hmm, as well, so mm -hmm. um, not necessarily just uh, related to heterosexual relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, And at Palomar, we serve about 15% of our population are males. Um, And, yes, the children, I think, you know, the unfortunate thing is um, that they experience a lot of trauma by being exposed to this, but then, yes, they're often used in this cycle as well as a way to create uh, those power dynamics and to punish the other person. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's why we have so many um, kid programming, because we know that it's really important uh, to break that cycle. And so we have our children's sanctuary, and then we also have Camp Hope, which is for kids who have witnessed violence between 7 and 17. And it's um, an evidence-based program. It is built on the science of hope. Um, kids go to a summer camp for a week out of the year where they are, um, we call it challenge by choice. They're doing zip lining and power poles and um, all of these kind of high, high activity um activities and and they are learning how to be resilient they're learning how to challenge themselves but we also have curriculum around um what we call hope heroes and so the whole concept is um that they believe in themselves they believe in others and they believe in their dreams and so um, and then that is carried on throughout the year with monthly reunions mm-hmm. where the mentors and the hope coaches that they engage with um, come back every single month. They get together and they continue to build on um, those skills and um, to create new goals.
0: Awesome. Awesome. That's that's that really is awesome. I was I would just say to anybody, if you if you. um Find yourself being the person that is doing any of these things. Keep the kids out of it. Don't do that to the kids. Don't send messages through the kids. Be an adult and communicate properly. Um, Unfortunately, Oklahoma is number one in domestic violence out of all 50 states. So I think that we, um, as citizens and family and loved ones, friends of each other, should focus on when to help a person that would be in a toxic relationship. So if you notice any of these things, just simply figure out a way to mention it to them, you know, um, because you never know if they are not cognitively aware that they are doing these things, or I don't want to say that they're doing these things, that it's not a best decision, a scenario to uh, play to be active in these behaviors, if they don't recognize that within themselves, then as a friend or a, a loved one, if you simply say, you know, you, you might be a little bit abusive, you know, that could go a long way in a lot of situations. So there was a tab on the website that said um, how to help loved ones. Um, and so what are some tips if you, If someone does want to help somebody else and maybe not offend them, but just kind of want to point out and try to make their household, you know, more positive without, you know, so much being in everybody else's business, but you still just want to help. Sure.
1: Yeah, I I think starting with the idea that we all, um, yeah, have to take the stance that this is unacceptable in our community, um, is really important that we won't tolerate that, um, people being abusive to each other. Um, also being really careful that there are things, um, that we call like flashpoints um, that can escalate abuse. So really thinking through um, those so that they don't put a victim in additional harm um, if you're trying to approach the person who's, who's using violence. But uh, for the person who is a victim of these things, you know, I think it's really important first to just start by believing. And so that initial reaction they get is so important for them mm-hmm. um, to feel validated. And so if they felt feel initially like they're shut down or not believed, um, you know they're likely to really shut down and withdraw. And so um, I think that that is the most important piece. You don't have to uh, be investigating all the details. You don't have to be doing anything other than just believing and validating their experience in a very non-judgmental judgmental way. I think the other thing that's really important to remember is that these are really complicated. We've talked about some of those barriers. These are complicated, complex situations. And um, the, statistically, people don't typically leave on their first attempt of leaving and never go back. Mm-hmm. And so...
0: Isn't it the seventh mm-hmm, time? Yeah,
1: it, Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the statistic. And so... Um, You know, I think if you are someone who loves someone who's going through this, that can be really hard to watch and really hard um, not to be judgmental of, but that's so important to be able to be open and to recognize that it may take multiple times of trying to leave. Um, and so not withdrawing your support and and not making them feel further isolated by um, just getting frustrated and giving up. And so um, one of the things we recognize that that's a really hard position for people to be in. So one of the things we've recently implemented is a secondary survivor support group. So mm-hmm. people that love people that either are currently or have been um, abused in the past And so that happens on the second Tuesday of every month at noon. And so anyone who has that experience of, um, you know, walking alongside someone who has been on that domestic violence journey can come and get some support in a facilitated group. And so I think that's going to be really, really important for people. I think the other thing is really encouraging them um, to to engage in either services or to at least do a safety plan. There are a lot of websites. If um, maybe if they come to your house and they have, um, maybe they don't have access to uh, safe internet at home, maybe you you could get on and help them create uh, that. There are online tools to do that, or the domestic violence um, hotline is always available and they can do that through there. We have on our website, if someone doesn't want to come in, we have a um, virtual chat where we can work with them on Mm -hmm. those pieces. And then Palomar is open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. It's a Mm walk-in facility so they can come in at any of those times. They don't need an appointment. And we have often had people say, my sister or my friend or my pastor told me to come here and I'm not quite sure why. So if you are that loved one, just encouraging them to reach out. Um, if, you know, then we can pick up that conversation and dig more into those, those details. Um, but I think at the end of the day, also realizing that they are the experts in their own story um, mm-hmm. and that they are the greatest um, risk of physical harm when they decide to leave. And so that's a big decision and not one that can um, be taken lightly or necessarily done quickly. And so making sure that they have had time to take those steps and to um, process what that's going to be like is really important.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and I am a big advocate for therapy. So um if you need therapy, need couples counseling or something like that, you can always try that first. And then if it's not working and it's remaining toxic, then yes, definitely reach out to Palomar and see um, the pros and cons of doing the protective order and how to move forward out of the toxic relationship. So,
1: yeah, I think, and I think it is also important for people if they, and sometimes you don't know until you've done more, but um, more work on that. But There is that difference between kind of just a mutually toxic relationship and that domestic violence pattern. And when they are in a true domestic violence situation, um, couples counseling, I've heard of a lot of survivors that have said, um, you know, my pastor maybe uh, referred us to a Christian counseling, someone that's focused on um, maintaining the relationship. Um, that can not always be the best approach for people. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would say if they are in a place where they're not quite sure that it's probably beneficial for them to also pursue their own individual therapy, uh, where they can work through some of that,
0: um, in, in case that it is really, truly a domestic violence situation. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, before we end, because we are running out of time, I do want to point out that you guys do an annual trunk treat, And I have been to them probably like the last four years or so they have free costumes for the kids out there. And it's always before Halloween. So You know, and anyone is welcome. You don't have to um, have a survivor story or or even have used Palomar services. You just show up at the Trunk or Treat and it's a really uh, cool ordeal out there. And they always have uh, king-sized candy bars out there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we try to open our doors so that people can get familiar with us. So if they ever do need us, it feels like a comfortable, safe place. So Trunk or Treat this year is October 21st. Two to four, it's out in our parking lot. Uh, A lot of our partners will have trunks, um, lots of arts and crafts and um, candy and just a lot of fun. And then we actually also have our uh, last open house of the calendar year, October 25th. So that week after, and that's a time where people can just walk through and get a feel for what the facility is like. Our partners host tables where they can talk about their services that are available and, um, people can just get more familiar with kind of what what it's like to be there because that can be a really intimidating thing and um, and you never know when when you might need to recommend our services to someone.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely appreciate you for coming. Um, and again, if you find yourself, um, on either end of any of these categories, um, please recognize that you need to do something to to fix the situation. Um, and if that's reaching out to Palomar, please go ahead and reach out to Palomar. Uh, can you give us your address and website sure. and contact information? Yeah, absolutely. So we are at
1: 11th and Hudson on the corner of 11th and Hudson. Um, the address is 1140 North Hudson. And um, our um, our website is Palomarokc.org. We're also on socials um, at Palomar OKC. Our phone number is 552-1010 if you want to call and talk to someone, and the, the um, kind of virtual chat that I mentioned can also be done um, on our website.
0: Awesome, awesome, awesome. So you can follow the League of Women Voters at LWVOK County on Facebook. And our website is www.lwvokc.org. And the last thing I'm going to say is that Palomar uh, uses or or was established from the MAPS money, the MAPS for money. And I'm very glad that um, that is something that the MAPS money was used for. So Um, That's what our tax dollars should be used for. And thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Bye. Tushalicious Talk is part of the Breaking Ice, Building Bridges community podcast platform brought to you by Possibilities, Inc.